The scripture for this morning is just one verse. It is a proverb, Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, but fools despise knowledge and instruction. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be seated, please. A few years ago, I was on the phone with my friend and colleague, Scott Hare, and uh, we were talking about something, and toward the end of the conversation, Scott said to me, uh, you know, I am resolved never to do anything again motivated by fear or guilt. And I said to him, me neither, and hung up the phone. And then the very next morning when I'm trying to get dressed to go to a meeting, I'm sitting there paralyzed in my closet, afraid that I'm going to wear the wrong thing. Is the suit too dressy? Are jeans uh, too disrespectful? I began to realize at that time, and I haven't shaken it since, that fear is kind of an often a part of my internal dialogue. It's, it's, a, it's a constant partner. So when I get here this morning, one of the first things I do is look in the bulletin to see if the class that I'm teaching on the Passover is in the bulletin. And it's not. And so I'm, I'm afraid that no one will come. But then on the other hand, I'm afraid that they will come and I won't know the answers to the questions they ask. You know, fear so often begins to play its way into our life. And it, it gets there after a while so, uh, so frequently that you don't even notice anymore. And you just think that's, a, that's a, a normal, good and right voice that's always telling you what could go wrong or inviting you to think of all the ways that this might not work out. Fear has become a rather normal and pervasive part, I think, of our experience. I remember a guy I met a few years ago and he said to me, you know, I'm afraid if I don't slow down, I'll have a heart attack. But I'm also afraid if I don't work faster that nothing's going to get done. And I think a lot of times we find ourselves in that vice grip of fear. Uh, Fear uh, among some of the major things that most everyone fears. Most everyone has some sort of fear of of death or failure or rejection or loneliness. And some people even fear change. There's some fears that are normal to all of us. And then perhaps some fears that that are peculiar to us based on our season of life or where uh, where those that we love find themselves. And so we develop other sorts of fears around the basic fears. But but fear is such a part of our life that we begin to take it for granted and we give it a voice in what we're doing. And, And I'm here to tell you that fear has been around a long time. It's as old as the Bible. If you go back to Adam and Eve, you may remember that once Adam and Eve had the forbidden fruit, uh, the next thing we find out is that the Lord God is walking through the evening in the cool of the day, looking for conversation partners, and suddenly they're afraid. And they hide from the Lord, and and they dress themselves with with fig leaves. And and the fear continues. You see it in uh, in Jesus and his disciples as we move to the next garden, the Garden of Gethsemane. And there in that garden... Jesus finally um, is arrested after his betrayal. And one of the things we notice that all his disciples leave him. And then Peter, as he's leaving him, is three times asked if he, if he knew Jesus. And he denies that he did out of fear. And it's not until you reach the final garden in Revelation 21 and 22 that fear finally gets displaced and has no role. In the life of God's people. Fear is normal. And it's pervasive. And if we could only get rid of it. 
It might be really helpful, but I'm not sure that we can or even that we want to. Some years ago, they asked a great Christian psychiatrist, how do you get rid of fear? And his response was interesting. He said, I don't want to. He said, that which doesn't bring fear doesn't have meaning. Think about it for a moment. Most of our fears are around things that are really significant and important to us. And he's trying to say, I don't want to minimize the importance of other things by not having any fear. You know, they even asked General George Patton after the Second World War, were you ever afraid? And he basically said, I was afraid all the time. He said, but I didn't give in to my fears and I didn't give counsel to my fears and let my fears make the decisions for me. And I think that's probably the distinction that we need to move to as we think about fear for these next four weeks. Is fear is pretty normal. It's pervasive. It's just a part of our existence, the way we're wired up. But can we act and live in such a way that fear doesn't have the first and the last word in what we do and don't do? But as we move forward, let me first say a few good words about fear. I mean, there are some healthy aspects to fear. Uh, first of all, uh, fear, I think, heightens our senses. You've probably noticed that before when something happens that startles you or scares you, uh, you get into a, an alert mode. And so uh, when you smell smoke, you go into a different mode. Uh, when it looks like a poisonous snake has crossed your path, you, you stop or, or you change directions. There's, there's uh, something that heightens um, in our life our responsiveness that that comes from fear and also for some people fear gives them like a shot of adrenaline almost makes them supernatural in some ways years ago i remember the story of a woman uh, a young mother she weighed 110 pounds and her uh three-year-old ended up being uh backed over and and was trapped underneath the tires of her car and when she realized that she got out of the car And 110 pounds, she lifted it up. And the child, not too badly hurt, was able to roll out, uh, treated and and got better, but but able to escape because this 110-pound woman lifted a car. How does stuff like that happen? Some of it comes from fear. The old Nightline TV show years ago, Ted Koppel was interviewing a guy that had been on an oil rig in the Gulf of Mexico that caught fire. And everybody survived, but this survivor's story was interesting because he was at the top and he jumped 15 stories into the water. And Kabul asked him, how could you do that? How could you jump 15 stories into the water? And he said, because I knew if I stayed there, I was afraid I would fry like an egg on the platform. There was something about fear that gave him a power to do Something he couldn't have done otherwise. And so there are some positive things to say about fear. I mean, I'll admit to you as a parent, I know I'm probably the only one in this room. Occasionally I used fear as deterrent with my children. I know you never did, but I did. It's like, if you don't get this done, this will happen. If you stay out past this time, you will lose this. If this grade doesn't come up, the fear was often used as, as motivational. And as, as, a, as a deterrent uh, to try to get them on the right path. And I, I think other people still do it today. Did you see the big news in sports a couple of days ago after a game on Thursday night? A, a college coach was very upset with one of his players after the game and, and, and basically blurted out and screamed at him. He said, I'm going to kill you. Well, that didn't go over real big. And so there was all sorts of arguments on TV and talk shows about, about the, the appropriateness of a, a coach telling uh, his player that he was going to kill him. Uh, but I didn't hear anybody 
arguing against the use of fear. They just had other ways to do it. Well, the obvious thing, said many of them, just when you're upset with a player, put him on the end of the bench and said, that's where you're going to stay. If things don't improve, you won't get off the bench. Well, that's another way to do it, but it's still fear as a deterrent. Only this fear is around playing time. Seems that fear can be used as a deterrent. I don't know how helpful it was in my parenting, but I know it was there. It's even been there as a youth pastor years ago. I had this, um, this youth group of, um, well, incorrigibles is what I would say. Didn't matter what we did, what the counselors did. There was always some episode. There was always some, some problem. So one day we saw our chance. We got a, a notice over, over the Methodist district news wire that there was a, a speaker coming to town. I think his name was Harold Morris. Anyway, Morris was the last name. And he had a talk that he would give in dif- different cities to youth. And, it, and he had been imprisoned. And uh, had come out of prison. And once he got out of prison, he dedicated his life to try to keep teenagers from repeating his mistakes and getting into prison. So he entitled his talk, An Ex-Con Talks to Teens. You know, and kind of don't go this route. You don't want to end up in the penitentiary. You don't want these things to happen to you. And so we thought, well, this is perfect for our youth group. We'll take them. And so we did. But, you know, over the next couple of months after this talk, we never saw their, their, their behavior improve or change one bit. So finally, uh, we decided that a better title for that talk given that day was not an ex-con talks to teens, but an ex-teen talks to cons. But still, about deterrent. You know, and and I, went, I went to school back when you could take driver's ed in the public school. Yeah, amazing. You know, you actually got credit for it. But I can't tell you how many class sessions they just sat there and showed you gory films. And showed you aftermaths of wrecks. Trying to put fear in you so that you wouldn't drive at a high rate of speed. Or you wouldn't drive while you were impaired. Uh, All sorts of things as a deterrent. So let me say, you know, there are some good things to be said for fear. One of my favorite preachers was preaching about fear several years ago. And he talked about this guy, Bruce Walker. He played uh, defensive end for the Buffalo Bills or defensive tackle. And he got on the injured list and missed the game because his hand was injured. But then we found out that his hand was injured because he was playing catch with steak knives. And I remember the preacher's comment on this. He said, you know, Mr. Fear would have been his friend. Yeah, sometimes, sometimes our fearlessness gets us into trouble. So there are some positive things to say about fear. But I believe for most of us, it is more, it is our fearfulness more than our fearlessness that causes dysfunction. It is our sense of fear that freezes us and keeps us from saying the right thing at the right time in the right way or from doing things we ought to do. I mean, how many of us have been in a meeting and we know we should speak up and we don't? Or in a conversation and we know we should say that uh, to someone and we forget. Someone we care about and we know we should tell them how much we care about them, but, but we're afraid they won't receive it right. And our fear can paralyze us. I believe more often it is our fearfulness than our fearlessness that will get us into difficulty. Uh, not just emotionally, but can get us into difficulties other ways. Uh, John Claypool used to like to tell the story of, uh, of a man in another congregation whose, whose father died of cancer. And then his brother died of cancer. And then the doctors found he had a tumor. So they did a biopsy. 
And while he was waiting for the biopsy to come back, he thought about all the struggle and pain his father went through and all the struggle and pain his brother went through. And he decided he just didn't want to mess with that. He was afraid of having the same thing in his life. So for him, he decided the easiest way was just to end his life. And he did. And about the day of the funeral, the biopsy results came back. And sure enough, his tumor was benign. I mean, sometimes our fears can actually be lethal. You know, not too long ago, remember, a person comes and knocks on a door wanting help in the middle of the night, and the person is shot through the door. Sometimes our fears could even be fatal. Our, you've probably seen this from time to time. Rescuers are trying to come in because there's a fire or, or there's a emer- medical emergency, and they can't get through the burglar bars. The very things that are supposed to keep out trouble actually harness the trouble in and keep us trapped with us i believe fear can be extremely dysfunctional and where it is most of all dysfunctional is in relationships and as christians we live by claiming relationships are the most important things in our life our relationship with god through jesus christ and the presence of the holy spirit and our relationship with our brothers and sisters on this planet And fear is absolutely devastating to relationships. You cannot build a relationship on fear. It it just can't go forward. It can't thrive. Can you imagine uh, if you were married? I I was married years ago, and my wife married me only because she was afraid nobody else would ask. What kind of start is that? Or or one of my colleagues said this way. He said, said, you know, this is what happens to me. I'm afraid my wife is mad at me, but I'm not sure. So I really hover around her and do everything I can so she won't be mad at me with the end result that, of course, now she's very mad at me. You just can't build, correct, grow a relationship based on fear. Most of all, you can't do it with Jesus. Discipleship is, first of all, as we mentioned last week, a relationship of love. And if the only reason that we're in any sort of relationship with Jesus is we want to check the box, I don't want to go to hell, I'm afraid of hell. What do you do after that? How do you grow? How do you change? Uh, Fear is not a good way to get in or sustain the important relationships. And it's definitely not with Jesus. We can't love him more when we're afraid of him. We can't take the chances he's calling us to take when we're afraid those chances might not work out. Fear will absolutely kill our walk with God through Christ. It's no surprise to me that in the Bible there are 366 do not fears or fear nots. That's one for every day in the year, including leap year. I mean, it's significant. How many times did Jesus have to say, it's I, don't be afraid? Or do not let your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. How many times did he have to say that to the disciples? That tells me two things. One, the disciples were a scared lot. But it also tells me that Jesus knows you can't have relationship and fear. Love and fear, as we'll talk about in a few weeks, just can't occupy the same space. I cannot obey Jesus and go the places he's going if I'm afraid when he's out there walking on the water and he tells me to get out of the boat. My fear keeps me in the boat and I miss the exhilaration of what it's like to live the life he's calling me to live. Fear will absolutely devastate and stop your growing relationship with God 
and with other people. So what are we to do? Here's my suggestion this morning. First thought this morning. Maybe we should fight fear with fear. This pervasive sense of human fear. What if it doesn't work out? What if I fail? What if I end up alone? Those sorts of fears can only be fought by a biblical fear. And the biblical fear I want to tell you about is in Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And, and the word there and the concept there is not fear as in I'm scared to death. What if this doesn't work out? Fear there is clearly a sense of wonder, reverence, awe, amazement. That's what the fear of the Lord is, is, is to revere and, and love and be so amazed by God that it overcomes and trumps the what if it goes wrong. In, in our life, great uh, rabbi Abraham Heschel, 20th century, said, if I could only ask God for one thing, I would ask for a sense of wonder and awe. And the more we're amazed at seeing the more that God is doing in our life and in others, the more it pulls us out of acting out of fear and moves us toward boldness and moves us toward a more radical uh, faith when our sense of wonder overcomes our sense of being scared and wonder is what the Bible calls fear in Proverbs 1 7 and those things sometimes show up at the same time in our life and they will battle I think maybe most of us have had this experience when my first child was born I had that human pervasive fear what if it goes wrong what if you know what if after my mother-in-law leaves in two days what if he won't stop crying what if I don't know how to have, hold him uh, what if there's something wrong? What if he doesn't turn out the way I hoped? What if I mislead him? What if I drop him? All sorts of fears. But at the same time, there was this sense of awe, of wonder and amazement, which was unbelievable. God has given me this human being to care for, this soul from heaven to nurture and eventually in the raising of my child, I won't tell you how long it took, but wonder overcame fear. And if it hadn't, I assure you, he would have never gotten a driver's license. Dating was just, would have been just completely out of the question. Out of town college? I don't think so. None of it happened. Would have happened had I yielded to that sort of fear. And not been open to the wonder and amazement of what God may yet do in his life and in our life as a family together. We must fight our human fears with the sense of reverence and wonder. Some years ago, there was a business consultant who was also a Christian. And they were asking him uh, what he thought about hell. And he said, you know, to me, hell would be... At the end, finding out all the things that I could have accomplished if only I had risked a little bit more and been a little less afraid. I want to find that out now before it's too late. I want to see when I look at the life with wonder what may yet happen if I'll move less in response to fear and more in response to awe and amazement. I wonder what would happen if I gave up fear for Lent.